Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in a very unconventional uh, passage for a Christmas message. The next two weeks, we're going to be focusing in on Christmas, and uh, this week and next, and right before we get into Christmas moments, which you guys have already had a chance to hear about. uh, This picture right here, I drew when I was about five years old. Five, six years old. This was for my dad. No, maybe six. Yeah, maybe six. Uh, but I made this for my dad. Um, this is this got eventually put into his office um, where he worked. And um, this was actually if you if you heard a couple messages back where I had to I did drew a picture for my dad, and then he said, "Oh, that's that's good, but it doesn't have a, it needs a little more color." This was the picture that I did, and so this is this was probably the second or third draft before my dad said, "Okay, that's good. I'll put that in the office." But I, my, I asked my dad last night, or uh, on Friday, if uh, he was able to, if he could just take a picture of it and shoot it on over to me, because this, I, this was my favorite scene in any Christmas nativity, any any type of uh, description of Christmas in art. The, the the wise men going to Bethlehem was something that I always just it just captured my imagination, uh, and I just loved the fact that I mean even that really awkward looking star, the idea that that. That God used this star, this astronomical phenomenon, to draw those who were far off to come near to Jesus. Those who were far away, those who were, who were not only uh, distance-wise far away, but ideologically far away. God used this star to guide people home to him. Now, if we, we look within that, that message, that, that is the key, one of the key aspects of Christmas that we have a chance to look at and understand is this message, that God drew those from far away near. And, and what they had a chance to do, what these magi had a chance to see was the incarnation. The incarnation is, is the reality that God became man. That, that God in the second person of the Trinity stepped into humanity. That God didn't just chuck a book at people. He didn't just simply throw some ideological principles at people. He actually physically stepped into earth, into human flesh, and walked amongst us. No matter what you've gone through, he's walked through it. No matter what you've experienced, he's been there. And that, that's the incarnation. And this incarnation reality, the fact that God became man, spoke volumes to anyone who were drawn near by that star. Now, if you look throughout the Old Testament texts, Stars are, are a big deal, not like in an astrological way, but, but the fact that they, they are, they're kind of signposts for God. Um, Psalm 19 talks about when you look up at the, at the sky, the night sky, that the heavens declare the wonders of God. That the stars are a way for proclaiming God's glory and letting everyone know, this is who I am. Do you see me? Do you see my handiwork? Do you see how amazing I am? Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And when you get into into the New Testament, you have Paul, a guy who totally hated this incarnated individual, totally hated Jesus, ultimately turning his life over to him, surrendering to him. And then when he was talking to Christians, he said, you know what? We have a watching world who's looking at us. You want to know how you impact the culture that, that surrounds you? You want to know how you make a difference in the world? Remember this. Remember that this happened. The incarnation took place. God humbled himself and became a man. And he walked amongst us and he gave his life for us. And and if you actually own that, if you tap into that reality of the incarnation, if you let the incarnational life start flowing out in your everyday life, then you actually will be like stars in a dark world that are showcasing who God is. 
Incarnational living, according to Paul, was just the idea that you are somebody that the watching world around you gets a chance to see Jesus through. Not because you're so amazing, not because you're perfect, not because you've you've done everything right, but because the fact that, like D.A. Carson put it, the theologian D.A. Carson, we are beggars who are just showing other beggars where the bread is. We are people who get a chance to show people who Jesus is and that our lives actually have the opportunity to shine for him. This week we're going to be talking about the fact that I believe that the way that we have the most significant Christmas ever this year is not by getting the most amazing gifts. It's not by, by having the most family, most phenomenal family memories that we can possibly write, but that we actually can make the most epic, most significant Christmas ever by being the star. Now, I don't know, if you're, if you're thinking back to, to Christmases growing up, I don't know like what you would say, the best Christmas. The best Christmas for you might have been that, that one Christmas where you actually got that thing that you, you didn't think you were going to get, but, and your parents were like, no, we could never afford it. But then all of a sudden, there it is. And you searched the whole house for it even. So you were pretty sure they didn't get it, but they hid it in a place that you now knew you would always be searching first, and you found it. And all of a sudden, you got it, and then that was the best Christmas ever. Or for you, it might have been when, when all of a sudden, family came back together, or, or some type of dispute was resolved, or someone came back from service, and all of a sudden, that was the best Christmas ever. I guarantee you that this Christmas could be a more significant Christmas, even than that. That this Christmas, if you actually live this out, flesh this out, if you, if you want it the, m- the most epic, significant Christmas ever, be the star. Be the star that's pointing people to Jesus. Make that your aim. Not, uh, above and beyond the family, which is good. Above and beyond presence, which is awesome. If you be the star that's pointing your watching world to Jesus, you will enter into 2016 with fewer disappointments, fewer regrets, fewer heartbreaks, simply because you will be doing the exact thing that God has called us to do. We are his ambassadors pointing people to Jesus. And that we do this, actually. Um, we, we can be the star by, to a watching world by pointing to people to Christ in four key ways. And the first way is to actually point people to the message of Christ that's within us. Pointing people to Christ's message in us. And the way we do this is by engaging an unconvinced culture with true celebration. See, Paul's talking about the fact that if what took place at the incarnation actually happened, it has implications into everything, let alone the way that we celebrate holidays. Now, this holiday season for you might be something that's difficult, okay? So, like, when you think of Christmas, you're dinged by it. It's, it's something that, that you're dinged by because of the fact that it's a wound. You have someone that you're missing at Christmas. Or, or family, family Christmases were always dramatic. You're not looking forward to seeing family. They really bug you and you're so happy that you're away. Those things can end up being what, what dings people and makes this season really, really heavy. Or you're uber distracted by Christmas. You're so distracted by the materialism. I had a conversation with someone at Ace uh, this week. And I said, so you looking forward to the holidays and Christmas and stuff? And she said... Look, here's my thing with Christmas. I love the message. I hate everything else. I love the message. I hate that, we, that as a country we spent $3 billion on Black Friday for stuff that's going to break within six months. So for you, you might be completely distracted in the negative way, or you might be uber distracted in a positive way. Oh, I love Christmas. Everything Christmas. I drink the Christmas Kool-Aid. I love, I, I like, I'm listening. That, if that's you, that's me. I love Christmas. I, like, every time I'm hearing Christmas music, I'm charged by it. People on staff can't stand the fact that I've got Christmas records in my office that I actually play 
in July. I'm that guy. I love, and so for you, you might be so distracted, not in a negative way. Oh, I hate all material, materialism. You might be, might be saying, I love the cultural Christmas. It's amazing. It's all, it's phenomenal. But here's the thing. If you want to have the most significant Christmas ever, you have to be the star that's pointing people to Jesus. And we don't do that by being dinged to, so much to the degree that we avoid it or that we're so focused on it in a negative or a positive way that we're, we miss and we're distracted from the most important aspect of Christmas, which is Christ's message in us. Now, Christians have understood this from the get-go. If you go back to the very, very first Christmas, the very first Christmas was a disaster. It starts with the baby Jesus, an unplanned pregnancy, a confusion, closed doors. Where is God in this? I don't understand what's happening. By the way, this is the Jesus from the front nativity scene. I stole it. And um, I totally need to let Chad know that. He's going to drive up and freak out because he set that all up. But that was the first Christmas. The first Christmas, the incarnation, God becoming man, was so magnificently important because that is what happened. But the early Christians didn't celebrate this. They didn't, they didn't like land on celebrating Christmas all that much because, well, for one reason, nobody could agree when Jesus was actually born. What was the date? December 25th is nowhere in the Bible. So how in the world did we end up with December 25th? We ended up with December 25th as Christianity spread into the Roman Empire. So early Christians, they're like, we, we don't agree when, when Jesus was actually born, so we can't celebrate Christmas. And on top of that, the most poignant moment in our Christian calendar is when? Not Christmas, but Easter, the resurrection. That's, that's when the essence happened. Now, the incarnation is amazing, but that's where the focus was. And so early Christians really weren't into Christmas. It started becoming a Christmas holiday, December 25th, as Christianity spreads into the darkest regions of the Roman Empire. The Romans celebrated something called Saturnalia from the 17th to the 24th. And and, and this was a a massive holiday of excess, tons of booze, tons of sex, tons of lots of everything. But it was something that, and, and a part of Saturnalia, you also gave gifts and presents to your kids. And it was just this huge holiday. And people got really, really, really smashed December 25th. Okay, that, that was kind of their holiday. As Christianity spreads into that region, all of a sudden you've got these people who are now redeemed by what took place because God became man. And they start saying, you know what? In, in, the, in, in the darkest regions of December, right in the winter solstice, when everything is getting darker and darker and darker, all of a sudden there's a point when things start to get more and more light. That's when we always have been celebrating with like tons and tons of celebration. But let's not kick that to the curb. We actually have a message that speaks into that. See, Jesus stepped into the darkness. That In Jesus, all of a sudden, the darkness started to get reversed. Because Jesus came, because he actually was born, because the incarnation took place, there's life that's come into this, and now we have the reason to celebrate. And, and at the end of Saturnalia, they celebrated the Roman emperor. And they said, We're not gonna, we don't need to celebrate him. He's not our king. He's not our real king. The king of kings came. And so we're going to celebrate him. So December 25th became something where they said, okay, all this, all this gods and excess, we're kicking that to the curb. What we're bringing to the forefront is that Jesus came, the son of God, the king of kings, and the darkness has been reversed. Amen? That's good stuff. And, and, and so let's give gifts and let's give presents. And so that was something that was big time important for everyone. And as throughout history, as, the, as Christianity continues to spread into the rest of Europe, it starts to get into Germany. How many of you have German in your background? Okay, me too. We got some messed up stuff in our history, folks. 
Like, there's some stuff you just don't want to share because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a, and, I'm, and I'm German. Yeah, well, and, and as bad as the 20th century was, back in, in, the, in the Middle Ages and, and before, in, in, the, in the 700s and 800s, as Christianity is spreading into Germany, all of a sudden you've got people who are doing terrible stuff. They were like barbaric, awful people. And, but one of the things that they were really freaked out about was the dark and the night of winter. And so what they did was they would go um, into the woods in December, and they would cut down an evergreen, and they would bring it into their house, like you do. And they would bring this evergreen into the house to remind them that, you know what? All around us is darkness. All around us is death. But guess what? I'm reminded of the fact that there's something living in this house, the tree. That reminds me that one day it's going to return to that. And they would even like put candles on there. Because yeah, you know what? It's dark out there. But guess what? It's alive in here. Lots of alcohol, I think, was involved in this whole decision making. But that, that's, that, that's what happened. And all of a sudden, that, that tree was something that, that was, was massively important. This was not associated with Christmas until the Germans, who were pagan, all of a sudden started hearing about Jesus. And all of a sudden, they didn't kick this to the curb. What they said is, you know what? Christ's message in us speaks into this. Because you know what? Jesus entered the darkness. He's the light. And because of him, I'm reminded that, that there's life that's entered into this household. And so they started doing stuff with this, these trees. They started decorating them with apples. And they didn't call them Christmas trees. You know what they called them? Paradise trees. Because the apples reminded them of the Garden of Eden. And reminded them that there was a time when sin was not a reality. That was paradise. And one day, the Lord is going to return. And he's going to restore life. And it'll be paradise once again. Pretty awesome. And so um, Americans, uh, around this time, um, as America's getting started off um, several hundred years later, the early, the early Puritans didn't like Christmas. They didn't celebrate Christmas. In fact, in Massachusetts, it was illegal to celebrate Christmas. It was the most unchristian thing you could do to celebrate Christmas. You could get fined for saying Merry Christmas in Massachusetts. And, and, and as, as time went on and, and we had the American Revolution, it was un-American to celebrate Christmas. On top of not being very Christian, it was un-American because... Christmas just seemed really British. And uh, like, I don't want to do this thing. We, we revolted from those people. We don't need to celebrate their holiday. We, we can celebrate Jesus however we want. And we're not going to do this Christmassy thing with gifts and stuff. That is a British thing. And, and we're, we're American. And, so they, and they didn't. Christmas wasn't a big deal in America for a long time. Until back over in England, there was Queen Victoria. And she got married to this guy, this German dude named Prince Albert. And, all, and in 1848, uh, she says to, uh, that Christmas, she says to Albert, Albert, you need to bring some tradition into our house that you had from Germany. That's, I'm sure, how she sounded. Bring it from Germany, all of your traditions that, that you had over there. Bring it over here. And he said, well, um, we brought pine trees in the house. Okay, let's do that. And they did. They bring it in and they decorate it up with, with apples and everything else and the candles. And that was illustrated. And in 1848, it was in the London News. And when that got over to the New World, to the Americas, to the United States, the aristocrats and the rich people in America said, they got a tree. I want that. And they did. And so they said, hey, if you're royal and you're all, we're just as royal as you and we won the war. And so all of a sudden, American rich people started putting pine trees in their house. And, and, and then it started to spread. And from that point on, Christmas started to get more steam. And in 1870, it became a national holiday. Then in America, it finally embraced the whole concept of Christmas. 
Now, around the same time, you've got the Industrial Revolution, which is now making it possible for people to earn more. And, and by the time you get to Christmas, because we, it was still associated with gift giving, give more. And com- companies did what smart companies do, which is to leverage anything they can to reach the most people to make the most money. And so Christmas, the idea of buying something was really good for companies. But it was, it was kind of tacky to slap a nativity scene onto everything and say that, that even though that's they were already doing with Merry Christmas, um, Merry Christmas was associated with gift giving. Um, they needed something else. They needed someone else to help out because, again, you can't just put a nativity scene on the side of a Coca-Cola can to sell stuff. So they have a little helper. Who is this? Yeah, you said it like you're an eight-year-old. Santa. <laughs> It's still in you, isn't it? All right. Santa Claus. All of a sudden, in the not, not early 1900s, there's a new... Fa- now, Santa was, was some, someone through folklore, had been, had been communicated and everything for, for like hundreds of years. But, but in the early 1900s, it was so helpful to have a new focus with our long Christmas as far as gift giving. This was a key focus now in the 1900s. Now, now that we've got more money, now that we've got the ability to produce things, let's give, give, give. This is part of the spirit of the season. Now here, just an aside on this guy right here. Do you know his backstory? Do you know how amazing this guy is? I'm not talking about the story that we've told. I'm talking about the real guy. Santa Claus, Saint Nick, was actually Bishop Nicholas of Smyrna, which is, um, uh, um, no, Mira, which is uh, uh, current um, present-day Turkey. And so he he was a bishop. He was a pastor. And, what he, and he was known for some amazing stuff. If like the crops did bad in the area, he would help everyone in the community rally to help provide food and resources for that family whose crops were doing bad. When, when girls, if girls didn't get married in that, time, in that time frame, they ended up most often in prostitution. And so he saved money and he would give money to, to um, uh, fathers to be able to produce dowries so that gr- girls could actually be married so that they would avoid prostitution. And he would give it in secret because he wanted to pu- avoid public uh, just attention. He would give it in secret at nighttime so that people wouldn't know about it. But on top of that, this guy was someone who loved Jesus so much, who Christ's message in him was so pro- pronounced and prevalent. He loved the gospel and he proclaimed it everywhere. And this was illegal at the time. In the Roman em- throughout the Roman Empire, Emperor Diocletian said, if you proclaim Christ, you will be tortured. And he said, so what? I don't care. And he did it. He proclaimed Christ and... Nicholas, St. Nick, was in prison for his Christianity. And he was tortured for his Christianity. In jail, he was tortured for it. That's this guy. On top of that, um, he was one of the bishops invited to the Council of Nicaea. Have you ever heard the Nicene Creed? The Nicene Creed came from this council where they affirmed who God is. And, and there was this, the biggest problem with, with, in, within Christianity at the time was, who is Jesus? And one of the things that they were having a hard time with is, you know, Jesus, one guy named Arius, he was big on this idea that Jesus isn't God. Jesus is just, just, he's, just he's a created being. He's not on the same level as God. And people are like, no, don't you understand who Jesus is? And, and Nicholas was one of those guys. Nicholas was one of those guys who said, don't you understand who Jesus is? I have, I have bled for this Jesus. I have seen this Jesus in my life. He is God. And Arius was like, no, 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 he's not God. Let me tell you why. And at the Council of Nicaea, Arius goes on and on and on about how Jesus is not God. 
And the way the story goes is that Nicholas, of all people, got just fried at this. He's sitting there in this council, and he's just happy. You know when you're like, your blood is boiling, and you're just like, I can't take it, I can't take it. That this guy doesn't shut up, so help me. And all of a sudden, as Arius is going on and on and on about how Jesus isn't God, Nicholas, Santa Claus, stands up, walks across the room, and decks the guy, punches him right in the face. He's making his list, checking it twice. How awesome is that? Nick, uh, Pastor, our own Saint Nick, Nick Dertinger sent me this meme on Facebook that said, <laughs> I love this, I came to give presents to kids and to punch heretics, and I just ran out of presents. <laughs> I love it. Now listen, I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of, of Christmas movies. I've watched Santa Claus 1, 2, even 3. I like Fred Claus, and it's not Christmas unless I've watched Polar Express and Elf. But... But of all the stories we've told kids about this guy, why have we edited out those stories? Those stories are the stories that no one grows too old for. They never get grow out of. Those are the stories that remind us that in our world, we have an opportunity to proclaim Christ's message in us. And it makes an impact in our culture. And unfortunately, as we got into the 1900s and as the Industrial Revolution fed into a deeper sense of what I could own and buy and purchase, materialism started to build up to a point that Christians all of a sudden are looking around at their holiday and they're realizing that they've gotten into a dark, dark place. They've returned to Saturnalia. Christmas is now a a holiday of excess. It's an overabundance. It's not focusing on Christ at all. In fact, it feels like Jesus has been stolen from our holiday. And this all of a sudden made Christians really, really, really skittish and really, really defensive. Uh, And they were starting to fight because they wanted to get Christ back into Christmas. And there's this culture war that's trying to get Christianity out. Which, of course, brings us to the Red Cup. Oh, have you ever heard of this? Anyone? Oh, ye ye of little faith, Starbucks cup. So what happened was apparently Starbucks decided to have, um, they decided to change their cups like they do every uh, Christmas season and, and they went red and they didn't have any of their design on it like they normally do, which really, really freaked some Christians out. Again, sensitive by the fact, thinking that Jesus is evacuating the culture. Um, Jesus is evacuating our, our holiday and I feel like it's, it's oppression and persecution and all this stuff. And so this started to get spread around Facebook, and a friend of mine who's not a follower of Christ posted this and just said, what in the world is up with Christians? To which other people started to remark on that. Um, One person says, so dumb. This person, and I actually like what this guy has to say, I'm super offended that they removed the garland, snowflakes, stockings, and sleds. Everyone knows that the Bible requires these for an adequate Christian Christmas. Next person puts, I mean, of all the things, all, of all, all things are definitely part of baby, the baby Jesus story. And then it started to get darker. As people said, it's just the level of insanity these war on Christian people, aka conservatives, have. If you don't plaster everything with baby Jesus doing espresso shots, well, you're the devil. They're Christians. That's what's wrong with them. Makes you wonder what could be accomplished in this world if we could take all the energy devoted to stupid things and direct it towards real problems. I don't understand anything anymore. One of the things that we need to recognize is that in a watching world, a world that's looking in at what we are doing and living and fleshing out, we need to recognize a very, very important reality. 
is that, and then that reality is, is that companies, smart companies today are doing exactly what they did back in the 1900s. They're leveraging a market to reach the most people to make the most money. And just as weird as it was for them to leverage Christmas to make money, maybe it's, it's not as weird as them to leverage a more bland, neutralized holiday when they say happy holidays and stuff like that. I am the guy, though. I'm the guy that when I'm watching the Target ad, I'm just getting, they, they said happy holidays. They didn't say Merry Christmas. That's it. Target, you will hear from me. You will not get any of my money. You are missing out on 15 bucks, buddy, and it's gone. My, 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 my knee-jerk reaction is being that guy. But is that what Christ has called us to do? No. The problem isn't with our culture. The problem isn't, uh, the, the problem isn't that the culture isn't saying Merry Christmas or having nativity scenes. The problem is that that is a reflection of the fact that we are living in, a non, in an unconvinced culture. And the problem is us. The problem is that I haven't been carrying this message well that I allowed all that other stuff to become the epicenter of the holiday. So why would they want to focus on anything other than that? Instead, we can be the type of people that, like Paul, we can actually consider this. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of, every, of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So this year, if you're going to be the type of person that wants us to be the best, most significant Christmas ever, be the person that's leveraging the message of Christ in you let this be something that you are celebrating with all of your heart. And if you go in and, and you're going to Starbucks and they give you a red cup and just, just look, I mean, do exactly what each one of these other seasons of Christianity have done. They've looked at pagan holidays and pagan culture and said, I'm commandeering that for Jesus. I'm looking at that and I'm just going to love that. And I'm going to take the opportunity to, to bless people around me with the reality of who Jesus is. And so when someone says happy holidays to you, don't like correct them. Don't be like, no, for me, it's Merry Christmas. <laughs> Don't be that guy. Instead, someone says happy holidays. And if you know this person, say, you're right. You are right. I mean, and you, you know why? Do you know why it's happy? Like for me, the reason I know it's happy is because I know this, this season reminds me that I'm loved. Really? Why is that? Because this season reminds me that God actually loved me enough to step into my brokenness and my darkness and my sadness. He gave me new life. So happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Let them know that. Leverage Christ's message in us, not the cultural holiday. The second way that we actually step into this is by pointing people to a selfless Savior. You want to be the star? You want to be the star pointing people to Jesus? We'll point people to the self, you know, selfless Savior by being more interested in others than you are your whatever it is. Fill in the blank. Let's go ahead and take a look at what Paul says here in the first seven verses of chapter 2 of Philippians. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Get this. Now imagine if this was, as we get into verse 3, imagine if this was your declaration for this holiday season. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made 
and found in human likeness. And one of the things that as Christians we need to to do if we want to be the start pointing people to Jesus is actually recognize that this season is the reboot, the reset button for us to remember that we are servants, that we are serving others and we have to be selfless. That means to actually to be in settings with your family where you're going to take your phone and put it down. Okay? Now I'm speaking to, I'm not speaking to teenagers here, but I know that this is something that every generation has. All of us are glued to our phones. If you've got a smartphone, you're probably glued to it. If it's not, you're glued to, I don't know, a crossword puzzle, but whatever it is, put it down. Um, when When you get into gatherings with your family this year, have conversations. And, and not just about what you're doing or what work's happening at you. Ask them how they're doing. Enter into their conversation. Be, recognize that if you're going to point people to a selfless Savior, we do that by being more interested in others than we are ourselves. Again, Paul said, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Put down the phone. Secondly, um, don't leverage your agenda in conversations or just try to prove yourself right, but listen with your spouse listen more than try to prove yourself right. At work, listen. This past week, I got in a big fight with my wife. And it really all stemmed from the fact that she was wrong. <laughs> we, were, um, we were driving someplace and she said, oh yeah, that happened. I said, yeah, that happened five years ago. She said, no, that was eight years ago. I said, no, it was five years ago. She said, eight. And I said, okay. And I went back and I went and I got on my phone. And I started to go... Going back through Facebook files of pictures because I had a picture that was going to prove it. All the time, she's like cleaning up the kitchen and I'm just like, she's doing all the dishes. She's taking out the trash. And then I found it. And I said, see? Aha! Five years ago. And she said, you were having me do all the work in here while the whole time you were just scrolling to prove yourself right? And I'm like, yes! Invest your life in spending and not aiming to be the person who's leveraging that. Point to a selfish savior by being more interested in others than you are yourself. Make that phone call to that relative, even the relative that frustrates you, as a selfless gesture to communicate the amazing reality of our savior. Thirdly, point people to the Prince of Peace by trusting our king in times of darkness and confusion. One of the amazing things we have in this passage is that Paul goes from the incarnation of the fact that God humbled himself to become a man in Jesus to all all of a sudden showcasing an even deeper reality. In verse 8, he was being found in the appearances of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is saying this, you know what? One of the things that we have in this world is that we have brokenness and difficulty and hardship. And the messaging that we have is that life is good when things are going good. Life is good when sickness doesn't strike. Life is good when there's no death. Life is good when our job is just producing well and we're getting paid well and the family's doing well. But the reality is is that that never lasts. Those patterns and periods of our life are limited. And we can say that that I'm only going to be a happy person or a fulfilled person or an at-peace person when things are peaceful. Or we could look back to the example of Christ who died. 
He died, but he communicated in his death that even in this, this is not the end. That he's greater than death. That he stepped into death and he came out of it. And he was pronounced Lord of all. That in the, the, even when things look as dark as they possibly can be, that if someone is in Christ, they get a chance to look at that same dark thing that someone else would else who are outside of Christ are looking at and would see it differently. They would mourn just as much. They would hurt just as much. As just as much but when they see it, they see it radically different because they know this is not the end of the story. And when that's not the end of the story, and when I realize that Jesus, what happened with Jesus is true, not only for Jesus, but true for me because I'm in Christ, I can have peace even in the darkest times. Which means that, that when the rest of the world can respond with over, over, just being overcome by fear when they're watching the news, or overwhelmed with confusion, or overloaded with hate, that as a Christian, I, I respond differently. That I, that I look at the same things and I realize this is wrong, this is broken, this is bad. The world needs Jesus. But because I know Jesus, I know that this is not the end of the story. So whether it's Syrian refugees, or it's a shooter on Waterman Street in San, San Bernardino, California, or it's a child that's making self-destructive decisions, I can engage those dark, broken aspects of my world with peace. Your world is dying for peace. Show them where it's found. Show them that that's found in Christ. When they see and watch your life, which goes through the ups and downs just like theirs, let them see the peace that emanates from from a person who knows the Savior that came at the incarnation. Be the star. Finally, be the star who's pointing people to the one who brought great joy by being generous in gratitude and stingy with complaints. Philippians uh, four, 2, 14 through 15 says this. Do everything without... Okay, and again, let's just think about the December, okay? We're going into December, and let's just think about this as, as our, uh, just a herald for us. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you'll shine like stars in the universe. Be the star. This world is desperately looking for people who look different. Now, obviously, we're going into December. We have a lot to be grateful for, true? We have a lot to be thankful for. But to be honest, we have a lot to complain about. We got a lot to complain about. And the problem is, and more often than not, we err on the side of being the complainer rather than the one who's expressing gratitude. I know uh, I was around this, this one particular person who was on the phone totally complaining to an AT&T customer service person about their uh, phone package. I mean, they were like losing it with them. And they were going absolutely bonkers with this person. Like, like saying things, like the type of thing that they were just like, go, I'm like, I, can't, I, I couldn't believe this person was actually saying this in front of other people. This is the type of thing that you get out of the car and you close the door, car because you don't want the kids to hear type of, that level of crazy. It was just going just bonkers on this AT&T. Do you understand? This, you have no idea. This, you're totally cheating me here. This is, why is it that you, you know what? I can go to Verizon. I might just go to Verizon. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Verizon. Don't, don't, don't you want to keep me as a customer? Why don't you let me talk with your manager? I'm going to talk with your manager because you're clearly not doing your job. Bam, bam, bam. And I'm just like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And then last week I was, I was in Sears and there was this person in line um, 
when all of the Sears checkout counter computers crashed and all these lines of people with stuff are waiting there and people are like starting to, you know, get really, really agitated and frustrated. And the poor like 21, 22-year-old girl at the, at the front thing, she's just freaking out because she doesn't know how to do it. She's trying to call people. And the people in line are like, oh, come on. And this person in line, this person in line that I was in, this person in line actually goes up to this person when it gets to their, their turn to buy their, their stuff. Everything went like five times as long. And they said to this person, it's been a tough day, hasn't it? And the girl just started, cry, just, just started to get teary-eyed and weepy. It's been like this since Thanksgiving. And the person said, you know what, it's cool. I've worked in retail, and I know what it's like when things go wrong and people are impatient. It's going to be okay, just take your time. And this, and, and this checkout girl was just like, <sighs> totally blessed. Now, I know those two people. Do you know how I know those two people? Because they're me. Both of those two people were me. I was the guy losing it on the phone with the AT&T guy, and I was the guy who was totally gracious with the person at Sears. Inside of me, I possess the ability to both totally lose it and be that person who's not reflecting the Savior who brought great joy by being someone who's expressing generous gratitude and generous, just absolutely being gracious with people, but instead of complaining. I'm, I was, I, and I was also the person who did that and fleshed that out. And all I'm telling you is this. This season is going to provide you ample opportunity to be the complainer or the person who's expressing massive amount of gratitude and thanksgiving. You want to enter into 2016 with a whole bunch of regret, frustration, higher blood pressure, be the complainer. You want to be a Christian? You want to be someone who's following Jesus and furthermore pointing people to Jesus. If you want to be the star, be the one who's in intentionally going into this season as someone who's expressing gratitude, who's expressing patience, who's being somebody who's actually stepping into all that is this season that frustrates people with a degree of understanding because you know what? I'm connected to the Savior of the world. This is not going to end me and this is not going to end this situation. The weight and the significance of Christmas, the power of the incarnation, all of that can never be held in a, in a cultural holiday. The power of the incarnation can never be held in a seasonal greeting of Merry Christmas. The power of the holiday can never be held in a Starbucks cup. The power of the incarnation can, however, be held in you and in me. Because God did that. He became man so that we would be restored in him. And because of that reality, you and I carry with us everywhere we go the hope of the world. Be the star this Christmas. Point people to Jesus. You heard Pastor Brent talk about how um, we've got Christmas moments coming up and to get tickets. We're talking about thinking of others over ourselves. I would encourage you to not just think about, well, I'm going to go to the 8 a.m. service because that's when I go and I'll make sure that we have this happening and this happening before or after. Instead, what if, what if this season we actually were the star by saying, how can I point people around me that are in the dark to Jesus who may never ever go to church and we, we, trust, we trust that you're like representing Jesus in your workplaces, in your homes, on your streets. But what if, what if like this season, you actually encouraged somebody that you do life with to join you for something like that? And they're like, seriously, I do not want to go to church. Okay, I grew up with church. My mom was a big churchy person, just talking a lot. I just don't want that. And you, you're like, yeah, but this, this thing on the 20, 20, 19th and 20th, is, it's something that's like more percussion and it's, it's communicating the Christmas story. And it's, it's really, really 
It's a unique thing that you should really be there for. And invite them. And get them a ticket. Maybe get them a ticket and then tell them that you got them a ticket. But bring them. And what if you had an opportunity for them to have a chance to see the gospel in a fresh way that can come alongside what you're already doing and being the star? What if this Christmas, um, as Pastor Brent said, um, you actually went out to that tree and snagged something? You don't know any one of these people that, with those tags over there. All you know is that these are people that are needy, that, that, are, that, just, that this has been a difficult year. And you could speak into their life in a, in a really cool way. This person um, who's 14, uh, the Christmas wish is to have Boy Scout stuff for camping. It's pretty awesome. The tree is full of opportunities for, for you to step into that in a real way. This Christmas, let us be the type of people who recognize the hope of the world has been contained in a baby that grew up and died on a cross for you and for me and for them. Let's live the type of life where they get a chance to see that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the fact that even though we don't know the date that the incarnation took place, we know the reality that it did. We're walking with the reality that it happened. We're seeing the implications from it. And, And Lord, I pray that you allow us to recognize that you've called us into our world, to live amongst the people that, that we do life with, that we, that we are related to, that we work with, that live on our block, that we live in such a way, God, that they get a chance to see you through us. Lord, we're not perfect. We're far from it. But I pray that even in our failures, even in our, our stresses and our anxieties, we get a chance to showcase a difference and the difference that you make. And God, as you make an impact on the world around us, we'll give you thanks and glory for it. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.